We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your true faith in Newcastle United podcast, Manchester United 4, Newcastle United 1. Alex Hurst, Norman Riley, and Pete Davey here to talk you through what happened, why it happened, and where 19th place Newcastle United go from here. First of all, a quick message to everyone who listens. Thank you so much for listening. We are on patreon.com, www.patreon.com forward slash TF podcast. If you subscribe uh, for £5.50 a month, you will get... Uh, up to 30 extra Newcastle United podcasts per month. Plus, you get these free podcasts ad-free. I'm sure if you don't already do it, you're asking yourself why. The £5.50 a month, it pays for uh, everything True Faith does. We don't take any money from this personally. We just put money back in to making fan content, including Pete sending you to Old Trafford yesterday. Uh, why don't you start off um, just telling us a bit about your day? You know, we know the football went one way, and I'm sure that was fairly expected. But for you, mate, how was the day as an away fan in Manchester yesterday? Um, I've got to be honest, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. Um, and, and, and that's regardless of everything that's been going on in the last few weeks in terms of, you know, our performances, the manager, the club. I've been looking forward to it because we always take a good following to Old Trafford. We're always, you know, in good voice and I just love away days. I've got to be honest, I love being in away days with, with the fans. It's it's the most passionate um, match day for me uh, out of them all. Um, so, yeah, it was good. It was also good to travel with a couple of my mates. They're um, long-time season ticket holders um, and um, it was nice to travel up with my new fans who have got a sort of, you know, a different opinion on Newcastle and we had a few chats on the, on the trains. So we got the train early doors um half nine in the morning uh plenty of um plenty of juice to 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 get the opinions flowing shall we say on the way up um uh it was a it, it was a really really good trip really really good trip and we got to speak to quite a lot of different fans actually there were fans coming from different directions and um lots of different opinions on 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 the club so we, we had a, we had a good sort of natural way on the way up um, and then getting to Manchester was interesting because we didn't realise that Park Life was on at the same time. So it was absolutely heaving. Um, so it did cause a little bit of issue in terms of getting around the city. Um, but the buzz was still there and you could see, you could sense where, you know, when we got to Media City and the Newcastle fans were there, the atmosphere was building. It just felt different. It just felt different, you know, going to some of the preseason games uh, and soaking in the atmosphere. It just felt different. It felt like before we got in the stadium, like I had, I had a feeling that the fans were going to be really up for it today. 
um uh, like on the on the day sorry and uh you know it they 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 really they didn't let me down at all fair enough and and you know the from what i've heard from social media from watching highlights following it you know like you correctly say pete i think going to old trafford for whatever reason it's always you know it's always a vocal support it's always a vocal following whether that's a bit of defiance um whether that's a bit of the lads are if they're going to get anything today they're going to need all 3200 behind them um i think i think you're spot on and yesterday sounds like a you know the usual kind of support for the lads i'm going to get into some of the songs they were singing particularly about the manager a bit later on but let's talk yeah. performance pete i've listened to you on the match day podcast for parents which is excellent as always um you sounded and, I, and and to be fair this isn't just you this is a few lads who i've seen who i've spoken to and on social media who were in the away end felt like the scoreline was a little bit flattering for manchester united if if they just you know i don't think anyone's disputing the fact they deserved the win same old problems about bruce's substitutions blah 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 we'll get into that later but would you think is is that your opinion that four one and was a flattering for the home team and b newcastle's performance was potentially better than you were expecting um yeah correct on both um i thought uh, you know it was quite obvious in, in a lot of my opinions with regards to the game that i thought you know it, the scoreline was very harsh um you know when the when the fourth goal went in i was just kind of like oh because it, it it you know really wasn't justified um and it looks worse than what it is uh, i going into the performance i actually was you know, pleasantly surprised, particularly in the first half, pleasantly surprised with how we set up and how we how we um, came out. Now, I have to say, you know, it was quite evident early on. Now, bearing in mind, I got into the ground a little bit late. So it's not just Newcastle that are awful with getting their fans into the stadium on time because Man United were atrocious with how they organised getting us in. Um Everyone was there in good time, but for some reason they were being incredibly slow in getting us in. And it was as if they were doing it on purpose um, at, at times. And it was really starting to rile up the fans. Anyway, I got in probably about four minutes into the game. But you could tell there was a sense there that the fans were there to back the players. And you could sense that the players um, could feel that. Just one or two challenges, crunch challenges going in, winning second balls. You know, the fact that the fans were cheering everything, it gave them that extra 10%. And I really thought that we dig, we dug in in that half. Uh, we did sit deep, very deep at times. Um, and I think it helped Woodman because he's not a guy that likes to come off his line. So I think the fact that we were deeper helped him out a lot. Um, and I thought for long parts of that first half, we really... Um, didn't have anything of any real danger where we thought, oh, we're on the counters here. Man United had had a lot of possession in that middle of the park, middle of our, say in the middle of our half, playing it side to side. But then when they tried to break the lines, it fell through. They were really shooting from tight angles and, and long distances and really coming to nothing. And we looked quite solid, but then we had the other side of things as well. We had Alan Set Maximum and he was a thorn in their side every time he got the ball on the counter. They backed off, backed off, backed off. Now I'm talking Rafa Varane, who's not slow himself. He was clearly worried about Alan Set Maximum. Paul Pogba was clearly worried about Set Maximum. They couldn't handle him. 
They just could not handle him. His trickery, didn't know which side he was going to go. And we had Willett chasing forward. We had Mankilio chasing forward. We were chasing forward in numbers. And arguably could have gone in maybe one or two nil up if if we'd have had sort of better judgment in the final third. So I couldn't I couldn't fault the performance in the first half. And then we get hit by an absolute sucker punch. Um and it wasn't deserved. It was poor goalkeeping. It, it purely was poor goalkeeping. And I think the reaction of the players, I think there's a picture out there of Lascelles just as just as Ronaldo is about to put it in where he's kind of like, oh, like he knows because, you know, um, Woodman should have should have picked that up, deflection or not. It, it wasn't a difficult ball into him and he should have held on to it. And you know what? Um, I think the fans and the players would have gone in at half-time, um, you know, a lot different in mindset. Um, if we'd have just held on that extra 30 seconds. You know what? I wasn't there, so everything I see is kind of based on just watching highlights and, and obviously reading reports and listening to other people talk and, I suppose, reflecting on previous performances whilst Steve Bruce has been manager. And I think what you say there, Pete, bang on. Like Obviously, there were good performances. There were aspects of the, the game that were decent, but the only way I can see it is that we've played well They've played poorly. They've still won 4-1. And this is what happened at Villa. We, I mean, we didn't particularly play well at Villa, but what I mean is we weren't necessarily out of the game. We weren't, you know, Villa weren't streets ahead, but then Villa still won 2-0. And I think this is the big concern is, is as fans now, aren't we getting to the stage where it's so terrible for so much time that we're almost buying into the, well, we played okay for spells of the game. We did okay there. And, and that's actually, it's actually skewing the reality. And the reality is we've just lost another match, 4-1 against a team that basically scored when they kind of fancied it. Like, you know, we were okay, we played well, you know, we, we could have scored a couple of goals maybe, but ultimately Man U probably didn't feel that much threatened by it. And, and what you're saying about ESM's interest and obviously players backing off him, but still nothing happened, right? He, he had he had, maybe had the ball and they backed off a bit, but ultimately nothing came of it because he doesn't really have the support around him uh, for, for a start. But also it's... It's the the equalising, lovely goal by the way, great goal that was. Um, but as soon as as soon as we scored, they pretty much to me it seemed like well I thought oh we need, we need to get another one, we need to get another one now. So they just went and got another one, and of course Woodman made mistakes. But I think even taking Woodman's mistakes out of it, it wouldn't have mattered for me. It wouldn't have mattered if you had Dubravka. Maybe it would have been three one. Maybe the goals would have been constructed slightly differently. Um, but I think. I think my frustration, as I say, is, is that we're playing games now and we're really clinging on. We're clinging on to these sort of minimal um, moments of joy. You know, we're, we're, kind, we're kind of framing defeats as being, well, we're actually we're okay for a little part of that game. And ultimately, we're still got bad ad. And, and I think that's a real concern. We play well in patches. And this is this kind of this is what kind of Bruce mentioned on numerous occasions last season as well. Oh, against Crystal Palace, we're great for 25 minutes against um who was it? Leeds United were well, brilliant for the first half. I think we still lost, you know, and that's that's the big concern for me. Yeah, uh, I have to agree uh, with regard to the fact you know we've still lost the game. It's four um, one. I would I would slightly disagree with regards to when we scored. I think for the few minutes after we scored, we rattled them. We had another couple of counter attacks after that that probably should have you know been finished better. Uh, I go back to the one where I think it was just before. Um, just before Ronaldo gets the second goal and um, 
we go on another counter-attack. Sit Maximin again, a, a huge thorn in their side, on the left-hand side. Plays in Almiron. Now, Almiron has the ball, and it is a tight angle, but he had no one in the box, and I was screaming, and so many rounds were screaming for him to shoot. Shoot. He plays it across goal, you know, a few yards across goal. Um, nobody's there. Um, you know, you could argue, and I think, you know, Matt they may have talked about it with Joe Linton not getting into the box to be arriving as a striker um, to get on the end of that. But, you know, they go up the other end uh, and catch us out because we, we, we've committed men. And at that point, we, we we did have them rattled and it was unfortunate that they hit straight back after that point. But you're right, you know, we've lost another game. And I kind of was thinking, you know, last night on the way back, it's it's always these games where we where we all of a sudden we start to you know, put a performance in, a game that we're not expected to win. Um, uh, you know, whether it's Man United away, whether it's Chelsea away or whatever, we always put a half-decent performance in it and it gives you a little bit of confidence. The thing for me is, okay, are we going to take that performance into Friday night? Um, and that's the key for me. Uh, and I know we'll, we'll probably touch on that later on, but you know, we can't keep saying we've played well, we've played well, uh, but we've not got the result because... We're already we're already climbing uh, a mountain that already looks too tall for us at the moment, um, and I do worry about how we're going to react after today's performance. That's the key for me right now. No, it's a it's a really good point. What what I would say is um, these games we were expected to get like absolutely battered, and I thought we were going to get totally slaughtered, right? And and ultimately four one isn't necessarily a close result, um, but I thought it was going to be like four five nil. I genuinely thought that, but. Do you think that maybe, and again, I can, I'm just kind of speculating here, we, our expectations are so ridiculously low, right, that when there are a couple of moments that are good, right, you know, like are good on the pitch, they, that, that almost becomes, it almost becomes a good performance just because our expectations are already so low. And then we do a couple of half-decent things. Those half-decent things become even better than what they actually are because, you know, they're taken in the context of, well, we're going to get slaughtered, yeah. That's one of my concerns. And like you like you say, we play like we did against Man U yesterday against Leeds. I still think we lose against Leeds. And that's the thing. It's like regardless of what, what positives may come out of that game, I still think we lose. And I think as well, when we equalized yesterday, like you see, we had like sort of we had them rattle, we see rattle for three or four minutes. Like again, it's like okay, we did, but it was a very short amount of time that we had them rattle for before they scored it. We didn't take advantage of it. And I remember the other week, Arteta was interviewed after the lost five minutes of Man City. And the, the commentator, sorry, the, the questioner said, um, you were in control uh, before they scored the first goal. It was like, he was like, yeah, yeah, we were really in control. It came from nowhere. The goal was like, yeah, but it was seven minutes, seven minutes. So this is the thing, like we, you know, it's, it's a, ultimately, regardless of how much we may have had them rattled for two or three minutes after they equalised, it wasn't long enough. You know what I mean? It was like, that was it, two or three minutes. That, that's it. So uh, as you see, I, I, all the positives are great in many respects, but at the same time, I think, the, the, for me, they lose a little bit because ultimately it's the, the it's the bigger picture, right? And we're really struggling with the bigger picture at the minute. Yeah, uh, yeah, we we have to look big picture um, because you know we can't afford to dwell on uh, you know a decent performance, and it, and it was a decent performance, but it was a, it was a decent performance because we we defended well and we were resolute for long periods of the game. Um, although the, the, the scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect that. Ultimately, I broke down the game in terms of it was two fantastic, fantastic goals and two goalkeeping mistakes. 
you know, that's that's how the game was wrapped up for, for, for Man United yesterday. Um, you know, the Bruno Fernandes goal, yes, we could have pressed him, but, you know, that, that goal into the top corner, there's not many keepers, if any, are going to save that. Um, you know, the, the football in and around the box in the last minute for Jesse Lingard to to slot home was was fantastic football. I don't think any any team in the Premier League would have managed that. But the two the two goals, you know, the two goals that Woodman let in were two crucial goals at crucial points in the game. If he doesn't let in the first one, if he holds the first one, we go in at nil-nil. If he doesn't let the second one through his legs with considerable ease, you know, it stays at 1-1. Do we continue to rattle them? Do we continue to put pressure on? You know, they're the sort of questions we can ask, but ultimately we're done now. But you made a really good point in terms of, you know, is this what we're sort of resorted to uh, now? Half-decent performances against teams we're expecting to lose 5-6-0 to. And the answer is yes, because that's what the ownership have effectively, you know, they've grind is down to this now. This is this is, this is is us. You know, we're, we're, we're coming out buzzing at, at losing 4-1, but having a decent performance. And that's, you know, whereas I, I agree to a certain extent that some fans are not going to take that and not happy with that. Ultimately, it's our reality for the foreseeable future until the ownership of this club changes. So you've always got to try and take the positives out because for me personally, I'm sick of looking at the negatives. I'm sick and I'm sure we'll talk about some of the negatives that have been on social media and stuff later on. But, you know, I'm sick of talking about the negatives. It's becoming, an, you know, a reoccurring theme that I'm sick of going through. Uh, so I, I wanted to really emphasise the positives that, you know, of that game yesterday. And we're going to talk about the goals probably in part two of the show. But I, I really want to quickly, for the end of part one, just talk about a couple of those positives. And I'm sorry, Pete, you're going to hate me for this. But it's it's almost like for me, mate, and again I'm keen on, on on both of your opinion, but especially yours, Pete, since you were at the game. Because I, I you know, I've been in your position before. Me and Norman went to Old Trafford twenty seventeen, we got beat four one by Jose Mourinho's uh, Man United. But we we came out of that game when we did the podcast and we were like, actually, despite the scoreline, Newcastle played well, they created lots of lots of chances. The goalkeeper was bad that day, Rob Elliott. Do you know? And there was a few injuries and and, and, and actually be, that's why we love having people at the games because you, there is no better perspective than being in that away end. Don't care whether you're in the press box, whether you're watching on TV, or like me and Norman just didn't watch the game at all. Your perspective, in, in my opinion, is a key perspective because you, you, you get a feeling of how important. You know, if, if you haven't watched the match, winning those 50 50s and second balls means now, does it? It means absolutely nothing to you because you look at the result, you look at what the bullshit, horseshit manager talks about afterwards, which we are going to talk about later, and that dominates your thinking, and that's going to dominate some of this podcast. But I think you are correct. However, this doesn't mean you're incorrect, by the way, but it's almost like with Bruce, a lot of the positives raise more questions than produce answers. Why hasn't our best right back, Javier Manquillo, Played a game this this season. He didn't even start the um, league cup game. Yeah. Why? Why is why is Joe Linton continuing to be picked? Why isn't Dwight Gale even getting off the bench? Well, I've seen Dwight Gale start twice. I've seen him play football live in the flesh twice this season. He scored two brilliant goals against Premier League side in Norwich. Uh, he hit the underside of the bar against Burnley. That's more than Joe Linton has done in all of his fixtures combined this season. And and we could talk for a long time about these things, but with Bruce. Because because everything seems to be reactive, and I talk about that more, everything's a reaction. So rather than picking his best team, and again, we'll talk about it later on. I'm really bigging on later on in the show, aren't I? Better be good. Um, bigging up later on in the show. So it's like 
Well, you brought Mankiw in, and I understand why you brought Mankiw in, but for that second goal, the gap between Isaac Hayden, who's not a centre-back, um, and, and, and Mankiw is huge. Like, I don't get what strike you are in the Premier League. Ronaldo, brilliant player, blah, blah, blah. Any striker, you know, put, put Cavani there, put Callum Wilson there, they're probably going through and they're probably scoring. And yeah, um, the goalkeeper goes through his legs. But at the end of the day, you've got Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo um, 11 yards from goal, approaching at an angle favourable to the striker. You know, he's he's going to score in that situation. So I, I feel that whilst the performance wasn't as bad as, as a lot of people feared, whilst Newcastle were in the game, for longer than pro- probably most people would have been. And there's a sense of appreciation. I, I, you know, I've been there. Worst thing, you know, me and Norman talked about this in a podcast recently, went to Man U under Glenn Roder, and I think we're 2-0 down under 11 minutes. And, like, the game, the game, the day's over, isn't it? The, the day is over, and it's damage limitation. So so it's good that Newcastle kept themselves in the game. But, but as to, to what Norman said before, I think the frustration is to stay in the game like they did, to keep the Ronaldo euphoria at bay because I imagine mate, the, the atmosphere even for Old Trafford was just like bouncing yesterday because of I mean that, that's one of the, the the whole of the world was featured on that game um, and take it to trade money for crazy prices and all sorts and, and this is the thing this is the problem with Bruce I came out I was at the cinema <laughs> during the game so I didn't know the score when I came out deliberately went to the cinema because I, I knew I wasn't going to watch it so I didn't want to be like you know, listening to anything. So, and, and the first thing I saw after I saw the result was Steve Bruce talk about positives. And it's like, all right, Steve, you, you talk about positives, but I, I take, I, I view you talking about positives again as a negative because you talked about positives after West Ham. You had positives after Aston Villa. There were no positives after Aston Villa, none. Me and Norman were there. There were no positives. You talked about um, positives after Burnley that we didn't get beat, which was an insult. You talked about positives even after Southampton. Um, and should have won the game, and it was positive that we got ourselves in that position. And then he's talked about positives again. So five games, no wins, lots of positives. Like it's an alternate reality, and it just this is me in my very biased against Steve Bruce Way, which I appreciate in a battle against because I always try and present a, an argument that isn't just um, shrouded in my dislike of the bloke as in my belief that he, he simply isn't capable of, of doing the job which he's tasked, tasked with, which is improving Newcastle United and improving Premier League players in 2021. It just starts to sound like bullshit. And that's the problem. If you keep talking about positives and you keep getting beat or not winning games, that permeates through the whole football club and the whole fan base. And that's why it's so toxic at the minute. Norman, before we head to part two, I'll come to you quickly, mate. The positives from yesterday that Pete mentions, I think this is another, when you say it, a positive becomes a negative, this almost kind of highlights it. It's because what you're seeing, right, is, is what those players are actually capable of with a bit, with better coaching, with more discipline, with coaching that allows their decision-making process to... You know, so, so one of the things yesterday, right, was the opportunities we had, decision-making of Sean Longstaff, I think, at one point, and Joe, Will, uh, Joe Willock, right, at one point. The, the decision-making just... It was wrong, right? But that's that, that that's something that can be actually like work with on the training ground, right? That's something also to do with confidence and self-belief. Like, you know, Willick sees like Joe Linton and he's like, Well, I'm just gonna shoot because you know what what what's what where's the confidence he's got in, in Joe Linton? So I think that what makes it frustrating is, is that there is there's clearly talent there, there is clearly there are clearly the tools to work with. So I almost any positive that comes out of a game that we lost 4-1, by the way, 
it, it is a negative because you think, well, if it was just like a slightly better manager, those positives we saw at Man U might have been even more positive, you know what I mean? Because the decision-making might have been a little bit, bit sharper. The, the fact that um, we score a goal, we have a couple of minutes of pressure, we might use that couple of minutes of pressure with, with a better manager who can manage the game better. So uh, it is, it, it's frustrating. So as good as these positives are, as I say, regardless if we play like we played against Man U, against Leeds, we'll probably still lose. So that's the uh, that, that's the that's the, the there you go that's the positive turn into a negative. God Almighty, you're sick of being negative, Pete. So I'm I'm sorry, mate. I'm uh, I'll go. I'm I'm gonna leave. I'm off. <laughs> I don't want to upset you anymore. <laughs> no, no. Look, I'm I'm I want to I want to try and stay optimistic and stay positive as much as I possibly can. But look, I, I'm I completely understand. Um, you know the way in which it is right now. Um, you know it is it is like blatantly obvious that this squad of players, regardless of what we think of this squad of players, is better than what they're producing right now. You know, yesterday was an example of that. If anything, it was the example of that. And like you've just mentioned, Norm, someone just even remotely better. You know, we're not we're not talking about another Rafa Benitez here coming in and taking the club. Just another manager remotely better. I'll give you two just off the top of my head. Chris Wilder and Eddie Howe. For me, Eddie Howe, in my opinion, is perfect for this job. Um, he knows some of the players already. The players know the style of play and the way he likes to play. So I think it could be quite easily implemented to this team. And I think, you know, you look at what Eddie Howe did, regardless of his relegation, some of the football he had Bournemouth playing is would would take this squad of players to another level. Um, and, and in a level that I think we'd be comfortably staying in the Premier League. That's just my opinion. Um, and that's what it boils down to. You know, it boils down to the fact that the fact that so many times Steve Bruce has talked about positives where you've both rightly said there are no positives to even claw at. In the one game where there's actually positives, all the fans have basically just stuck two fingers up to you and said, I don't believe you because it's a load of rubbish because this is what you do all the time. So, you know, it's, it's at that point now. It's at that point. It's at the point where a lot of fans don't even listen to his, his press conferences. Because they're they're that frustrating because it's just the same churned out rubbish um, every week, and it's just a sign of a guy that's just not good enough to manage this football club. That's not good enough to manage at this level. And although we're seeing certain performances and we're seeing certain results going on um, on the pitch, the, the the root of this problem, the we know Mike Ash is the overall root. We know. We need an ownership change. That's that goes without saying. But the clear root right now, the immediate root of the problem right now, is the manager and his backroom staff. And when I'm I'm talking about Clements and Agnew, um, they are the problem right now because they are not good enough. They are not good enough to manage this team, and the players know it. The manager knows it, in my opinion. The fans know it. And I think the owners know it. And I think they've just been very, very stingy in terms of not wanting to pay that money out. Um, I personally thought today, the, and I've not said this before, that performance yesterday, certainly the first 45 minutes, was a performance um, from certain players knowing that the world was watching them. Um, and the game was such, you know, so well talked about. I think performances were, were were out there, like, for example, Sit Maximin, like Sean Longstaff, who's got less than a year left on his contract, Joe Willock, 
who, who, although he's only just signed, will be ultimately looking to put himself in the shop window for a move to a highly reputable club. You know, it, I'm not naive to think that he's not going to be doing that. Um, and I, I look at those performances, Javi Mankilio as well, because like you've mentioned, Alex, his relationship with, with Steve Bruce is toxic right now. Um, whether it's down to a language barrier or not, you know, he clearly should be starting games for, for Newcastle at that right wing back. Um, and I, it, it just it just rained through for me that there was a lot of people putting themselves in the shop window because they knew the world was watching yesterday. And I think that's why. And I think it feeds into your point, Norm, that come Friday, the performance may well be very different because they know the world's not necessarily going to be watching on Friday night. Well said. That will do us for part one. We will be back after these very American adverts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Norman, um, one of the things you wanted to talk about, I know, um, was team selection and I'll put to you, mate, that one of the biggest issues at Newcastle United in terms of performance right now under this coaching setup that Pete's just alluded to isn't just the formation, which I hate. Um, it isn't just the regression of key individuals, you know, like a, a Jamal Sells for one, Sean Longstaff, players who have excelled in a black and white shirt before, Isaac Hayden as well, let's, let's throw him in there. Um, but Steve Bruce after two seasons made, still doesn't know his best team. He still doesn't have a clue who he wants to be in the team, in what positions across a season. And we've talked about it, particularly, I think, after the Sheffield United defeat when he made eight changes last year. We'll continue to see completely, in my opinion, unprecedented actions week on week. Um, I put a tweet out last night basically saying, Steve Bruce said on BBC Newcastle, a few weeks ago, that Graham Jones takes the attacking players in training and Steve Bruce takes the defensive ones. Yet Steve Bruce has had, in defence, no injuries this season. He's had none, not, none of the defensive players have suffered injuries, yet he started against West Ham with Kraft and Clark in his back three. He then brought in Fabian Scher and Jamal Lascelles against Aston Villa, against... Um, Man United yesterday, he dropped Fernandes and Cher and brought Kieran Clark back and Isaac Hayden, who doesn't play that position. Why do you want to talk about this, mate? What? Why is it eating you up so much? 
I think it's a, a recurring theme, right? Bruce's only kind of concept of tactics is to change players and maybe change the formation, right? That that's the, that's the kind of limit of the, the tactical um, switches that he makes. So, so for example, Newcastle play poorly at Aston Villa. We're doing defend particularly well against Southampton. So, rather than that being something you would work on on the training ground in terms of what you're actually doing with you know your your tactical technical conditioning type training, you just change the players. That's the tactics, right? Like, okay, then so we didn't defend well last game. I'm going to basically swap three players, swap two players. Um, it, it's incredibly frustrating. It's it's a it's a recurring theme, but also let's look at like this. And I've got this written down. Yeah, right. So we've got Alan Sam Maximan yesterday, who to me on the highlights I've seen looked like he was playing centre forward. Right, it looked like he was he was the centre forward, the, basically the number nine. You've got Joe Linton, who was bought as a centre forward, playing on what is more or less the left of midfield. Right. You've got um, a defensive midfielder playing as a right-sided centre-half, despite the fact you've got two centre-halves on the bench. You've got a left midfielder slash left-winger playing as a left-wing back in Matt Ritchie. So every game, really, every game at Newcastle under Bruce, you're more or less looking at three or four players not playing in, that, in our actual positions, but also at the same time having players on the bench who do play in those positions naturally. And what I wonder is... Do either of you have any um, recollection of, of this happening at any other Premier League clubs where so many players are being played out of position so regularly um, and, and there are so many of them? Because I, I just can't. And, and Alex, you've seen you, you, Steve Bruce doesn't know what his, his best team is. Like, he, he doesn't seem to know what positions the players play. Never mind what the best team is. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's deeply frustrating. And I think to drop Shea and Fernandez yesterday... For Hayden and Clark, it's truly mind-boggling. I mean, Fernandez has pretty much been my best defender for two seasons, and I don't necessarily think he's had a poor start the season or, or you know, a poorer start than, than other players. So it, I mean, the, the only way I can look at this from yesterday, right, is thinking, has he just thought we're going to get beat here, so I'll keep these two lads fresh for for Friday against Leeds? I don't think that would be the the sort of air logic, but it's the kind of only way I can look at it without thinking, well, that's a little bit mad, isn't it? Yeah, I I would agree with you. Um, I was baffled by the way in which we set up uh, yesterday because normally we, we the way in which we set up is three centre-backs, the two wing-backs, the three midfield and effectively two up front. It's normally Set Maxi and um, and, uh, and Callum Wilson. So I thought with Joe Linton and Set Maxi it was going to be situated the same way. It wasn't. So Alan Set Maxi was literally occupying both the centre-backs um, uh, on his own. As, as an attacking force. Joe Linton was playing as a left-sided midfielder, as you said, Norm. But on top of that, you also had Matt Ritchie as a left wing-back. So you had two people in the same position for the majority of the game. And the amount of times that, that uh, Joe Linton and Ritchie were getting in each other's way because they're in the same position, doing the same job, they were like having to play out of tight spaces because Man United were just coming in and just tightening up the space and were nicking the ball because... There was there was no outboard. There was no alternative um, out there, and it, it was it just bat it really really baffled me. It was it was a really really weird situation. So Maximum made the best of of that situation, and he, he created problems. But again, it goes back to the tactical awareness of the manager. If I can see that as a fan who's in the stadium in the away end, having um, you know. <laughs> drank a lot of alcohol that day, right? If I can see that as a fan, why isn't he? Because he's the one on the touchline. He's the one that sees 
these players training every day. He's the one that should be able to see the picture of how this team was set up. It, it didn't make sense. Kieran, I can't really fault Kieran Clark because he had a decent game. But in my opinion, I think the guy's finished at this club. I think he needs to be moved on. I think he stayed a year too long. Um, you know, we, we, needed, we needed to transition him out. However, as Anna Shearer very rightly put in on match of the day, we just keep players because it's easier to keep players than, than, than sign a, a new player. Uh, and I think Kieran Clark is a, is a clear example of that alongside Dwight Gale. Um, it was a case of being very, very frustrated because they, there were certain gaps, particularly in midfield, that weren't being filled. Um, the, the recovery runs of players weren't great. Um, but, you know, that's where the manager should be then encouraging his players to be making sure that they're back into position. He should be able to be seeing that and directing. For someone that stands on the sidelines for as long as he does. He doesn't, he doesn't say a lot. He doesn't do a lot. You see him pointing a finger, but he doesn't mouth anything. He, he doesn't inspire a team. He doesn't inspire a group of players. And I'll be honest with you, there's a picture going around of, of Joe Willock when he come, when he gets brought off. Um, and he's looking at the... He's, he, I think he's in the dugout. And then the next picture is, is that he's got his top over his head, as if to say what the hell is going on and I feel sorry for him I really do feel sorry for him because he's the lad that needs guidance and there is no guidance in that team whatsoever brilliant point Pete about Bruce on the sideline and I was with I watched the match at the start of the season with a a well-known band journalist don't want to get in trouble with Newcastle not that I listen um I watched the the West Ham game with him and he made the point to me that at, at Bruce at four two down to West Ham, he came alive. He hadn't done anything all game. He hadn't been out of the dugout, and at four two down, he came alive. And uh, this James goes to me, "All oh, this is for show. It's for show. It's I'm trying to do something." And it, you know why? It's a brilliant point because he he's never like that at nil nil. He's yeah. never like that at one one. At one one yesterday, that's when you earn your money. That's what that's when the manager can influence the game through positive tactics, positive substitutions. He's nowhere. And as soon as as soon as it goes one or two goes down, it's oh, you know, I'm out there, I'm shouting, I'm saying, get stuck in, I'm doing that. It's all for show. There's nothing. There's, the, you know, I go back to when Rafa Benitez first came to the club, and and he was literally spending the ninety minutes on the edge of his technical area, telling players how to stand, how to shape their bodies, what kind of defensive positions they should be taken up when out of possession. He was having to micromanage the team who he hadn't had on the training ground long enough through games. It's the complete opposite now. And to go back to what Norman said about, you know, can 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 we think about why he does this? I think I think I think part of it goes. It, it, it's like we can't think of why some decisions are made. Some decisions are so bad. Look at look at Dwight Gale. Like you know, people, long term listeners know I'm, I'm biased towards Dwight Gale. Even if you think Dwight Gale is finished at Premier League level, even if you think he can't do it, could he be any worse? across the four performances we've seen from Joe Litton in a, in a substitute capacity and other performances from the same player, could he have done any worse in front of goal? Do we think we'd have had more or less shots? Do we think that the team would have done better or worse playing Joe Litton ahead of Dwight Gale? Now, you could talk you talk about position. Dwight Gale isn't going to play on the left like Joe Litton did yesterday, so it's not like for like. But there have been situations. Aston Villa away is a prime one. West Ham at home is a prime one. The issue with Bruce is it he doesn't seem to think beyond the next game. And that 
might be all right for some managers, but it's like literally this fixture of this game, we saw it with Florian Lejeune, how badly his return from serious injuries managed. He's fit for two months. He doesn't play a minute of first-team football. Here you go, mate, four games in 10 days. Four games in 10 days. Two weeks later, you will come on at Everton and score two goals. You'll never kick a ball from Newcastle again. That's not management. That's not management. That's not your manager professional footballer at the highest level. And that and it's the same with Mankio. Now, Mankio's worked out because he's come in. He, he seems to have had a, a reasonable game overall, but then, you know, is always embellished by a, a very, very good counter-attacking team goal and a very good finish by him. This it's not a, that's not a way. Mankio's hardly I don't think he's played a minute of Premier League action so far this season. And it's all of us you're starting at Old Trafford and Christian Ronaldo's return against Jaden Sancho. Like that it's it's as much the overall management as it is the, the selections, and the selections are batshit. The overall management makes it so hard to have empathy. It makes it so hard as a fan to to think there's there's a process here that I can get behind because we've all been there and everyone listening's been there. We've been at games and performances. I get your classic one, Norman. You were at West Ham to Newcastle nil under Rafa um, Olympic Stadium. You know Newcastle were comfortably beaten comfortably beaten on the night. But there were aspects of the game and aspects of the performance and the fact that the same players played the same positions as they always do and the team selection was consistent, that you're like, that was a bad day at the office this week, we'll go again next week. And that's generally how sport works. What you got with what you get with Newcastle is, well, who, who, who are our three best centre-backs? Is Emil Kraft one of them? Why is he starting the first game? He has a nightmare. He has a nightmare first game against West Ham. Wasn't the only one, but he has a nightmare. He's gone. He's gone. We're not going to see him anymore for, for several months until someone else has a nightmare. Isaac Hayden has really struggled. The Bruce, he was one of Newcastle's most consistent midfielders. He was genuinely well-liked by the fans. He was even kind of whispered in terms of England contention, probably not seriously, but his performances in the Premier League were at an appropriate level that people were like, Isaac Hayden, two million quid, bargain in the Premier League. He finds himself at Old Trafford playing centre-back playing centre-back. Now, whether Isaac Hayden fancies that or not, I don't know. Whether Isaac Hayden goes to Bruce and says, I fancy that, I don't know. Then you see the second goal, and again, it's it's one moment in a game. Hayden could have done good things in the game. He could have been a good centre-back. He's comfortable with the ball at his feet. Bruce might have looked at thought, you know what, Shaw, I thought Shaw did well against Southampton. I watched it on TV. He, you know, he was able to bring the ball out. You, you notice the difference in the balance to the, to the, to the back four in terms of when we're in possession, sorry, the back five. And he plays Hayden, and he plays Mankio. So he brought two players in out the cold to, to play against that team. And then the, the decisive goal in the game seems to come from a misunderstanding between those two players. And that's 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 the real issue here. It's that there are consequences to these actions. And Bruce, in my opinion, behaves like a man often who just thinks, well, the, the game is done. And some of Bruce's prominent um, supporters... In the in the national press, almost treat things the same. They kind of say, "Well, what do you expect?" It was Man United and Pete and you and three thousand one hundred ninety nine others didn't go to that game to just have it tossed off. And I'm not saying the players or the manager tossed it off, but that's that's the impression that you get sometimes, and that's why it's so difficult to hear Bruce talking about positives. They're only positives, like you said, Pete. They're only positives if 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 they can translate into a positive action in future. Not getting beat 4-1, there are no positives in getting beat 4-1. There are none. What Bruce is referring to is that there were parts of the performance that will translate into the next time you play this fixture in this opposition or the next time you play a team in the Premier League, that some of those good things 
that the team has done will start to become the dominant strands of games which will lead to results. I would say that is impossible when you go into one one fixture apart from the next fixture, changing half of your back five pretty much, changing your whole midfielding games, deciding that Alison Maximan, who did all his best work for Newcastle as a left winger, then was brought in basically as a number 10 to play Callum, behind Callum Wilson, and now he's a number nine. How How is the rest of the team supposed to react to that across not just one fixture, because it sounds like Sir Maximan did all right yesterday, but across a season. And then the, the, the problem that Bruce finds himself in is that often if something goes okay, then that's just the way it has to be from now on. So are we going to start against Leeds with Sir Maximan um, as a number nine? If Wilson's still injured, the club aren't giving any information about Wilson. And it's almost like, yeah, but at, at what point... At what point is that sustainable long term? And that's the problem. And that's going around about way of saying it. But with Bruce, it's just, everything's just on a game game by game basis. So this was to come back at your point, Norman. I don't think he does look at the fixture in terms of we'll get humped here and save this for these for for, 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 for Leeds, because if if he does think like that, the issue he has is what if it goes okay? And then if it goes okay, you end up playing. You know, Miguel Moron, for example, playing central midfield is probably a byproduct of having two or three good games there back in like February. Last year and ever since, it's like we'll try Miggy in something midfield with the five at the back. And and you saw his his involvement in the goal yesterday was absolutely brilliant. It was brilliant attack and play. There's no other words for it. I'm not, I'll stop even trying to describe it. It was so good. Why don't we see him with the ball running up at the opposition more in a counter attack? Because he's playing fucking centre midfield. And when we don't have the ball, he's often taken up a defensive position, tracking one of their midfielders. So Bruce boxes himself into these kind of decisions that like yesterday or the day before you never would have dreamed of doing these things but somehow because it's a game by game analysis only there's no kind of well Isaac Hayden's my solution to centre-back for the rest of the season because he's because he's clearly not is he I think we could all agree now I think the centre-backs at some point are going to actually return so how he finds himself in these bizarre situations where he's going into one of the hardest fixtures in the world because he's got Man United away with the return of Ronaldo and he's like I'm going to change two of me back me back five. I don't know, Norman. I don't know whether I've answered your question at all, but I've gone. I've said a lot of words, so I'll let you come in. No, it made a lot of sense. I think I don't have anything to add to it. I think I would just, I suppose, expand on it in terms of um, decision making. And Pete, as you rightly said, ESM was given Varane and Maguire, you know, something to think about, right? But at the same time, yesterday, do I think it would have been more fruitful to have ESM up against? Aaron Wambasaka than against those two centre halves. Yes, I absolutely do. Um, and do I think it would have been more fruitful to have Joe Linton not on the pitch and Dwight Gill an actual centre forward playing at centre forward? Yes, I do. Even though, as we've already said, he isn't necessarily a Premier League striker. But I think a combination of ESM on the left and Dwight Gill up top makes a lot more sense to me than ESM up top and Joe Linton on the left. Um, so, regard as I say, regardless of how many problems ESM may, may cause centre halves, I still think he's more effective in his natural position up against the fullback as opposed to the centre-halves. Um, and also, I'd be interested in either of your takes on, on the substitutions. W- what does being 3-1 down, um, w- what about that inspires you to, to think that bringing Jeff Henrik on with five minutes to go is the, is the one that may pull you, get you back into the game? Or, or basically, the, and Pete, you may confirm this, did Jamal Lewis come on as a, as a left-sided centre-half? Or did he change the formation at that point? Um, who knows? <laughs> at that point, who who really knows? Uh, I'll be honest, players were playing everywhere uh, at that point. Um, the only thing I'll add to that is that you are absolutely right in terms of the substitutions. 
they, they baffled they baffled us and, you know with eight minutes eight minutes to go on the clock and you're bringing Jamal Lewis on who athletically is very very good um but you're bringing him on in a game that was that was finished I, I just it, it did not make sense whatsoever again Matt Ritchie played okay but again by 60 minutes he was he was finished he was tired at that point you make that substitution and you give Jamal Lewis a run out giving him eight minutes is not giving him a run out you're putting an appearance on his on his numbers but that's what you're doing because he's not really playing football and I think that was the only telling sign if you if you get to watch the reaction at the end of the game Jamal Lewis couldn't wait to get off the pitch the rest of the fans uh, sorry the rest of the players came towards us led by Matt Ritchie and and Jamal Lascelles but Jamal Lewis didn't want to come to us I think he was kind of forced to and he only came part way clapped and then he was the first one to go and I think that probably that's brought out of frustration frustration that he's not getting minutes when he's looking at Matt Ritchie who's been kind of uh, you know responsible for a number of our goals that we've conceded this season by being uh, you know very very poor defensively in his positional play being all over the place and he's thinking what do i need to do to get minutes on this pitch you know equally mankadio who's took his chance um and got onto the pitch when jeff when jeff Hendricks came on i you could physically hear the the awake and go oh when he came onto the pitch, I'm not even joking. Like that, that was a that was like a throughout the whole of the away. That was like a universal. At one moment, we all went oh, and then there was shouts of what the f is he coming on for? Like he's rubbish. And in then that started the negativity. Not long after that, the Bruce chance kicking, and it, that that's literally how it was. That's how it played out. And it's just like what were these subs even about you are literally just giving them their appearance bonus that's effectively what you're doing you're doing a, a neil warnock right there <laughs> you, you really are um because that's what he was famous for doing um and it was poor it was really 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 poor um and again it goes back to the manager uh, and you know it, it stops with him the book stops with him on decision making across the board and we've already talked about a number of things and probably we could name maybe another 10 things that he's done that decision wise has let us down on so many so many occasions fair enough and i think final thing in this part is um great commentary from the away in there players will be the same the players are the same that, that, that when when jeff hendrick comes on there's got to be a mentality there with you saying that no wonder we're conceded a fourth rather than scored a second, because the, the players will know game's over now. We aren't going for this. We'll be back to talk about um, Steve Bruce and the things he said right after this. Part three, final part of the True Faith podcast this week. Um, well, we've lost Pete, but we're going to keep going. I'm sure he can bring himself back in. Norman... Steve Bruce and the things he says, his post-match performance, which has been released on video uh, towards, I think, Miles Starforth um, and uh, also Lee Ryder in particular, as Pete rejoins us there. Um, the things he said after the match, we've already got beat 4-1. We're already 19th in the league. But looking a lot of the post-match chat once again, it's the things that Steve Bruce says that seems to enrage people 
as much, not more than, but as much as the performances. Norman, can you can you kick what off, mate? Um, let's let's talk about the holiday stuff first. Um, he was asked about, you know, why did he go on holiday um, in the international break, and his flippant and aggressive response was, "Do you think I have to sit here and tell you about that?" Do you want to just speculate, Norman? What what's what's going on here? What do you, is is it as simple, mate? Is 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 he's lost the plot, or, or is that too is that too simplistic a narrative? I think he's just very, very angry and he feels that the whole of the Newcastle fan base and any journalist covering Newcastle United is against him. Um, I don't think he sees sees it how we do. I don't think I genuinely don't think he sees anything wrong with going and taking a five-day holiday during an international break under the guise of, well, we're missing five or six players, so what's the point in training? Also, when we're in the, the sort of bottom three, um, I, I think he thinks that that is perfectly normal. And look, ultimately... You'll see people on social media saying, "Well, he's allowed to go on holiday, holiday, right?" And, and that'll be that'll be the argument. Um, whereas actually, yes, of course, of course, he's allowed to go on holiday. You know, he's entitled to annual leave, which you know most employees in a sort of well-developed country with employee rights will have. But when you're te- when you when you're in the middle of the football, when you're, sorry, when you're at the start of a football season, your team started shockingly badly. To go on holiday during national break, it's not sending out the right message, and it's also sending out a message of, "Well, there's no point in me being on the training ground." And, and, and to say, and to say that one of the reasons is because five or six of your players are missing. You've got twenty-four players in that squad. What are the other nineteen players doing? Do they not count? Um, it's it, it's a true the response indicative of a man under under pressure, but at the same time, a man who doesn't believe what he's doing should be questioned. It, it's perfectly it, for me. It's perfectly fine. That's that is that is mentality, and it ties into the kind of anger that I felt on his comments about the return of Ronaldo, where he. He, framed, he was asked about Ronaldo, and what he could have said was something along the lines of, "Look, he's a great player, but it's got nothing. To, you know, that's got nothing to do with me. I'm Newcastle United's manager. This is about my team. It's about my team going to Old Trafford. My team, who I know, I believe are capable of getting something down there. Um, we're setting up and displaying a certain way. That's it. The, the, but, but the actual, the kind of the deference to Ronaldo in the we're just going to give it a best shot attitude. We're a Premier League club. Those players are on that pitch." In the same division, right? They're on good money, and it's nothing. It's it, it's nothing to just turn on and say this. This is un, it's unimportant to me. Um, so it kind of just it just ties into the 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 deference to other teams that he gives regularly, but also the fact that he genuinely thinks that taking that holiday when he took it, given the club's problems, is is acceptable. And we're and we're the ones we're the ones that are overreacting. And how dare the journalist ask him? The thing about the annual leave, mate, is he gets. Footballers in general, people in the football industry, get a hell of a lot of time off. There's obviously the fantastic remuneration that he gets for for his job and doing a pretty bad one at that. But it's it's almost like it's just this kind of like it the the response and the being angry about even being asked. Like like you correctly say, mate. I don't think anyone not would would if Newcastle were like twelfth and had won a game and played all right. Do you know what I mean? It just it, like he fails to grasp why people are annoyed. I probably don't think Premier League managers should go on holiday during the season. Teachers don't go on holiday during school term time. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it, it is a thing that exists in, in in professions across the world. Um, but but if if Newcastle were a well oiled machine, if if there weren't serious questions that had been raised about the team's training by members of the first team squad last season, it would be less of an issue. 
Newcastle have got a, an issue where key players keep getting injured. Callum Wilson's injured already at the start of the season. Um, it, it, it's a really, really strange way to go on. How he thinks it's going to um, endear anyone to him at all is beyond me. And and, and maybe the um, the most worrying thing is is that he just doesn't care what people think. And that is a problem. And that's that comes across throughout the football club from, you know, me and you did the podcast last week. And, and thanks for all the good feedback people have given us about that. But but Pete, I know you want to make a point about Bruce, which you can, but I also just thought it would be a good time to bring in a, the point about um, the players at the end of the, the game because they took some heat on social media. Um, I re- originally heard it was Jamal Lascelles and Joe Linton who were vying for Ronaldo's shirt. Isaac Hayden got lumped in there from a tweet from Magpies 24-7. Kyle, part of Magpies 24-7, who's been on the show a few times, hopefully be on again. Um, and Isaac Hayden took took issue. I mean, I think Isaac Hayden's point was that he didn't actually ask Ronaldo for a shirt, so that's a kind of inaccuracy. And I, I understand wanting to clear that up. I think Isaac Hayden could have cleared it up a little bit more diplomatically than kind of having a go at the lads, who are just fans disappointed after a defeat. But there were, Pete, a lot of Newcastle fans very disappointed that final whistle goes in a 4-1 defeat. You're 19th in the league. You haven't won again. There's 3,002 people in the away end. And their first thought is to go for an opposition player shirt. I think, Pete, um, on WhatsApp last night, you know, you said you kind of disagree with that point a little bit. And Norman, you take the other side. So we'll let Pete go first. Keen on your thoughts and then yours, Norman, mate. Yeah. Um... The way I saw it uh, yesterday, uh, in that I felt sort of a, a protection for the players a little bit because I, I was expecting the stick because of the scoreline. It was a bit like when Lingard scores, a bit like oh, because I knew what was coming on social media. There was going to be a lot of hammering, a lot of hammering the players. It tends to be like sort of a, a default reaction now to to some of our fan base because. They're obviously angry and frustrated and disappointed, as we all are with where we are. But, you know, I didn't feel that the players needed to get hammered because they they gave their all. You could tell they were physically gutted at the end of the game. Um, And they'd given everything. They left everything on the line, even in the last minutes of the game. They were shattered, bless them. Like, they'd worked hard. They they were running, covering ground all over the place. and ultimately, you know, we got beaten by a superior footballing team. They, they just are individually and collectively. Uh, and sometimes you've just got to accept that. However, you know, all of the stuff that then kicked off with regards to the shirt and Ronaldo, I'm glad that Hayden cleared that up. I think he was right to put his point across. Could he have put it across slightly better? Maybe. But maybe we could have put, as fans, put it across slightly better and not be so direct. And and sometimes, I'm not saying Kyle in particular, but I'm saying some of the fans can be quite disrespectful to the players as well. So, I mean, it's okay sort of pointing fingers at, at, at players for not responding the same way, but they feel emotions just like we do. And Isaac Hayden is one of them. I think he's proven that in the last year with the way in which he's spoken. I think at times people have even talked about him potentially being the captain, the way he speaks and and how well he speaks. So he feels the emotion and the passion. He would have known how hard he worked yesterday. I thought he played well at at centre-back. I thought he played better than I've seen Fernandes play this season, better than Clark's played this season, 
better than Lascelles at some times this season. I thought he had a really good game and was very, very lucky with the Ronaldo goal. But um, the other two players, um, you know, I, I haven't, I personally haven't got an issue with it. The game's done. They've left everything on the line. We've lost. Yes, fair enough. And ultimately, for those players, uh, and and they are playing against, in my opinion, the best player that's ever played the game. Um, and they might not get that opportunity again. So for them to take something from that, you know, although the result didn't go our way, although we didn't, you know, we, we didn't get the points, to take something from that, I don't think I'd have done anything different. I don't think, you know, you shake everyone's hand at the end of the game. Well, well done. Great game. Blah, 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 blah. You do that to Ronaldo. Do you want to swap shirts? Yeah, we'll shop, swap shirts. I don't see what the problem is. Um, it wasn't like blatant. It wasn't done right in front of the away end. It was done just in a casual way as you're shaking hands and saying best of luck at the end of the season. Um I don't have an issue with that. So I, I was really disappointed with, with a lot of the fans sort of targeting these players. Um, I don't think it was necessary. I don't think it's the talking point that we needed to think about. Like we've already talked about on the show, the, the emphasis should be on Steve Bruce and his, and his poor decision-making, um, the poor goals that we've deceded, the, the fact that we've battled back uh, and, and we did give them a game for long parts. I think that should have been the talking point, not um, whether players are swapping shirts at the end of the game. If it was half-time, I would completely understand and I'd be dead against it not at the end of the game. I mean, I really kind of, that, that that's perfectly put. The reason, what, what I've got written down is mine's all conjecture because I wasn't there, right? So I didn't say it would play it out. And I'm forming an initial opinion on what I'm being, what's being relayed to us. Mm. And the way I looked at it was, well, if the final whistle's just gone and let's say, for example, you're Joe Linton and you've just had yet another atrocious game uh, where you've done nothing, and you know you are a Premier League player, by the way. So you're on the same pitch. You're on that pitch with Ronaldo on on merit, supposedly, right? So the way I look, the way I the way I interpreted it when obviously I was getting the second hand information was, well, if the first thought in your head is to move, make a move to Ronaldo and to get his top, other than to actually just briefly reflect on your own performance, then maybe go and shake hands, then go in the dressing room and just absolutely lose the plot because you've performed terribly. Um, or for the cells to go in as the captain and you know start handing the bollocks out. If your first thought is I want to get Ronaldo's t-shirt, or I want to I want to touch I want to touch the magic man himself. That to me is a little bit it's a little bit infuriating because like it, it basically the way I looked at it, as a fan right as a fan of Newcastle United I looked at it more of a case of actually like we got beat four one. I'm furious. Um, I feel for the fans who've travelled yet because we've lost yet again. We've lost yet again. Um, my first thing isn't going to be to go and see at the top of, you know, of, of as I say, the magic man, Cristiano Ronaldo. It's, it's actually going to be to, to reflect on the fact that we've we've been bad again. But like you say there, mate, the way it played out wasn't like that. So even, you know, so, so if, if that's a, if, it, if it played out how you say it is and there's no reason for me to, to dispute that, then then fair enough. Like there's, there is nothing wrong with players swapping tops. I don't believe in a person because it's just like, uh, all right, you know, you, you are you are all athletes on the pitch together. Um, but um, as I say, my opinion was initially based on on what I was reading. So I'd, I'll, I'll retract anything nasty I might have said in the group. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I said yeah. anything badly. Like... <laughs> no, no, not, not at all. Um, like I say, it, 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 you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's, it's all about opinions. Like you, you, you're not someone that particularly likes to do the swap shirts. 
I'm not necessarily against it. I don't really see it as a as a massive thing. I just see it more of as a as a as a showing of respect. Oh, I'm not against him yet. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against oh, him. Sorry, yeah. Um, I'll have but, to I'll have to come in. Sorry, because yeah. here's this is this is why we will have people at the games at True Faith, and it's good to get that viewpoint. But what what I think a lot of fans took issue with, and, and Pete, I, I assume this is a lot of people who've watched on TV, whether international or on a stream is that Joe Linton, and again, there's probably a little bit of hyperbole here, <laughs> moved quicker all game to, to run to Ronaldo for a shirt than he had done it in the 90 minutes. And then Ronaldo pointed out to Joe Linton that during the game, Jamal Lascelles had already asked him for the shirt. That's what really upset. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. I wasn't there. Even if you were there, you're not like, you know, unfortunately the lads aren't mic'd up, so we can't hear them during the game. And I think that, and again, it's like, that could be, complete bullshit i don't know but 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 if it was true i can understand why those two things number one jamal Assel should be completely focused on the game in 90 minutes if it happened because it might not have happened by the way it doesn't change the, the scoreline does it so it's probably just one of these twitter things one of these things that people immediately after the game are annoyed about 24 hours later people are a bit more relaxed they're looking at the big picture lead seems like it's round the corner and people kind of move towards that but I can understand number one if LaSalle did during the game that to me is out of order you should be concentrating on on bringing this guy down not taking a shirt at the end of the game and number two again because it's Joe Linton because he symbolizes almost everything that's wrong not just with the fact that he was signed which isn't his fault but his performances, his continued selection of, of other players and I don't just mean Dwight Gale if Ryan Fraser had been fit yesterday Joe Linton would have started ahead of him you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's just kind of this perception of the perception of Joe Linton, rightly or wrongly, is he just doesn't want it enough. He just doesn't care. And I think there's that's not just a goals thing. You saw it in the match of the day analysis, but how you know, I remember when we beat um, Bournemouth 4 1, um, lockdown football, end of season 1920, one of maybe the best performance under Steve Bruce, um, although Bournemouth were sinking at the time. There was a Newcastle scored a nice counter-attacking goal, which Joe Linton started. But when it showed you the image from behind the goal, Joe Linton started the move, but was still on the halfway line where he started the move when the ball hit the back of the net. So he ha he hadn't even tried to get on the end of it. And I think that's the the frustration isn't just the actor swapping the shirts because I think we we can all agree, P Pete's right. You know, it happens in football. It's part of football. So what teams. Play it. normally a team wins and loses for players to swap shirts one of the losing team has to be engaged in that transaction but it's the fact that the, the allegation against ourselves and the fact there's so much wrong with Joe Litton Newcastle United that just pisses fans off whether it's true or not look it, it's pure speculation we'll have probably forgotten about it this time next week but I'm I'm, I'm pleased to get your point of view mate that because you were at the game you saw what happened your your point of view is the most important one on in this I'll just, conversation I'll, yeah I'll just I'll just add on the end of that because I, I think you made a good point I mean if that is the case I mean I don't know how we would know if that was even the case like you've mentioned and you know how someone may have got that information but you know if that is the case and you know as a captain that that is wrong 100 but I don't have necessarily an issue with that but I was looking more so at the reaction of the players when they came over to the fans. They looked dejected. They looked shattered. They looked drained. They had given everything. And, and, you know, you can tell that on the players. They looked genuinely disappointed that, that you know, the scoreline didn't reflect, I think, the, the work they'd put in on the pitch. Um, yes, a lack of leadership from the manager's, manager's section of the, of the dugout. But, 
they gave everything that game. Uh, and it was it was shown. And I think it was reciprocated by the fans because the fans, you know, showed a lot of respect. There was a lot of chanting. There was a lot of, you know, huge applause for the players. Um, and I think they, they 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 understood that. So for me, that 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 was the thing that was most important: the fact that there was an acknowledgement from the fans that the players had gave everything. And I was so pleased to hear that so many other fans at the game said the same thing because it was something that I'd noticed as well that those fans, those players, genuinely looked disappointed. Um, it, you know, it, we we talk we could talk about Joe Linton all day, but the, the ultimate the, the ultimate thing is he's just not good enough. He's not good enough for Premier League football. He's not good enough at this level um he's on a huge wage a wage that i don't think he ever thought he would be on um so i i, I the one thing i'll say is i think early on particularly in his first season i do think that joe linton cared i don't think he cares now i think he he should have gone in the summer alone to go and play football back in Germany or in another country. I don't think he really cares about playing for Newcastle United anymore. Um, but the problem is, uh, for someone, uh, um, for example, Steve Bruce, that keeps telling us that he's a left winger, he still keeps getting played up front and he's not a striker. Um, but when you commit £40 million without doing your research on a player, this is what happens. And this is the example. If anything's the example of Newcastle United, it's this. Um, in that we don't do our research and we make bad decisions, just like we've made a bad decision in playing Ryan Fraser in every single preseason friendly. He scores goals, he's made assists, he's played well. First game of the season is on the bench. What can you do? There's so much we haven't got through, um, and we've done more than an hour. This week on Patreon, we're going to have a full podcast analysis of Steve Bruce's press conference, him taking aim at the chronicle in particular and what that means i did want to talk about the bruce out chance in the way end today so that's two games in a row um three games really because there was a lot of anger towards bruce at villa um as well so it's it's really building on that one but we'll probably talk about that through the week on patron as well um norman and pete thanks so much lads great analysis as always thanks to everyone who listens to true faith uh, you can also catch Pete on on Loaded Mag on YouTube. Lots more Newcastle United analysis there. You get us on Patreon, £5.50 a month, which includes ad-free podcasts and, and lots of extra Newcastle stuff. We'll be back Saturday morning after the Leeds game. Um, Norman's coming up for that one. He's going to record in the True Faith studio. Could it be Steve Bruce's last game in charge? Um, time will tell. We're going to have a full Leeds preview on Patreon this week, but we will speak to all of you next Saturday you know, let's see what happens. It's very interesting. Thanks very much. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.